welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. This week's guest is an American biathlete and proud wearer of the red, white, and blue. She competed at the Winter Olympics in 2006, 2010, and 2014. Join me in giving a warm round of applause to none other than Lanny Barnes. How you doing, Lanny? I'm doing great. Always great to be here, Dave, and I'm really excited to talk to you today. Awesome. I've been looking forward to this. Did, did I get the intro right? Yeah. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Now, the last time I had you on, it was basically just about Prairie Fire Rank. Um, right. So I, I skipped the normal podcast, um, really difficult personal questions at the beginning. So this time I'm going to throw out the really hard icebreaker questions that typically stump everybody. The first question is, what's your favorite movie? A River Runs Through. Oh, that is a, that's a classic way back in the day. Okay, good movie. I can see that. You're an outdoor person. That's an outdoor movie. Very laid back. The more difficult question that people usually have a hard time with is favorite book. There it is. (laughs) <laughs> that is that is a tough one because there's so many good books out there um not the normal answer we get normally it's like i don't read i don't know i <laughs> know uh, i mean i i haven't read a lot in the last year but reading was something that i i did consistently especially when on the road uh you know competitions overseas you know you didn't really have uh i mean the tv was horrible because it was in always in a different language and it was shows from the 70s and 80s and 80s dubbed over in whatever country's language okay. we were in. And uh, so, we, you know, reading was always kind of a staple of ours when we were stuck overseas. So is there a genre of books that you prefer? You know, I, I pretty much like all different kinds of books from, you know, history to, uh, you know, real life um, kind of uh motivational stories to fictional to to anything like it as long as it's well written and it keeps you engaged i, I kind of like reading about all different types of things i don't know if you're into um superheroes but who would be your favorite superhero uh k Mitchellek. <laughs> okay <laughs> just kind of a superhero <laughs> all right and who is that he is a superhero Kay Michalek, Jerry's uh, wife, Jerry Michalek's wife. Oh, Kay. I'm sorry that you said Kate. So no, I was Kay like Michalek, totally yeah. thrown. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, she's kind of always uh, bugger about it. I tell her she's the modern day Annie Oakley because she paved the way for all of us younger shooters to, you know, be able to do what we do now. Yeah, she's like the OG. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> Probably not what you were expecting. uh, i was gonna say you know like um wonder woman or something but she was very anti-gun in her last movie so that was unfortunate (laughs) oh i i i thought you were gonna say captain america (laughs) just well that's a good one too yeah that's in my mind i'm like is she gonna say captain america Um, i did think of it i did think of it (laughs) okay i i like your answer better though Kay mitchellick i like that all right so you have shot a plethora of guns and stuff in in your time 
Yeah. What is your favorite gun and what is your favorite caliber? And they don't have to be married together. That's a really tough one because I, I think all the guns I own are my favorite. I, I love them <laughs> okay. all. But, you know, I would say probably my my Olympic biathlon rifle is my favorite just because I spent so much time with that gun on my back and, and shooting and things like that. I mean, we ski around for hours and days with that thing. And, um, you, you got to, to really appreciate how, one, how much it weighed cause you're always carrying it around <laughs> skiing and stuff. And then two, I mean, uh, we customized those things so much to where it fit us like a glove. You know, we put a lot of time and work and effort and energy into that. And I also, I paint it every year too. It was a wooden stock that oh, was, okay. uh, custom made for me in, in Norway and, and I'd paint something different on it every year. So when you, when you kind of put time and effort into um, painting something like that, it, it really becomes special and kind of yours. And then caliber, I would say that, uh, you know, if I was marooned on an island and I could only choose one, I'd probably choose 22 because you could do so many different things with that. Um, it's just a good all around caliber. You can, you know, hunt small game. It can pretty much do anything you want if you're a good shot. And and it's fairly inexpensive still. Correct. Yeah, you can carry a lot more of it than and you know not get super weighted down. Right. Now, interesting. You said your stock is wood. Did you ever have any issues with swelling or shrinking of the wood in the different weather? Yes. Yeah. So that was very common in our sport. One, um, you know, because the, the weather was so variable that, you know, we could have a, a snowstorm and stuff. So if, if there were any cracks or anything like that, if the wood wasn't sealed perfectly, then, you know, obviously you could have issues. And then another thing, too, is, you know, because we were carrying the, the rifle on our back while we were skiing, if you fell, oftentimes the, the stock would snap in half. So um, you had to be very careful how you fell and... And uh, so it, it happened for sure. Luckily, mine was was made very well and, and didn't have any issues, but it happens for sure. So if falling would crack your stock, that means I am completely out of skiing and shooting then because I cannot control how I fall and it gets pretty violent at times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a tough thing. I mean, sometimes you launch yourself off the course into fencing or into the crowd or just different things like that. So, you Oh know, you, Lord. Yeah. It was always a challenge. <laughs> well, and for the audience, um, before we went live, Lanny and I were talking and I, we were talking about weather and snow and I had been, um, to Bridgeport, uh, California for cold weather training. And I had never snow skied before in my life. And the first time I ski, I've got to wear full pack rifle, skis from what looked like the 1930s um <laughs> it was it was a horrific experience i'm surprised i don't have ptsd so, <laughs> it's rough it's a challenge yeah we um now i'm trying to remember if it was a snow ski we did or uh, a snowshoe or snow ski but we had a a night march it was so they had snow cats with the lights on it was 35 degrees below zero with wind chill, and it was whiteout conditions. It was wow. nuts. But it was also probably one of the most fun times of my entire life. 
If yeah. I could go back and redo that, I would do that again. Well, you could always jump in biathlon. It's very similar. <laughs> yeah. I, I was afraid I'd need like 10 guns to make it through the end of the uh, competition. I'd be cracking all the stocks with the way I fall. Yeah. <laughs> now, you've also competed all around the world. So the fifth question I like to ask people is unique to them. And that is, what's the favorite place you've ever competed? I would say Italy and um, probably because it is so, so close to home as far as the, uh, the mountains and the, you know, Colorado, it's very similar climate and it's okay. just, it's beautiful there. And the food's a little better in Italy and the people are very nice. And um, it was one of those things, the, the races were a little bit more enjoyable because it was so sunny and beautiful. Like you finish your race and you'd be completely exhausted there laying in the snow, but you couldn't help but enjoy the the scenery and the surroundings where, you know, sometimes if you were in, say, Siberia and it was 30, 40 below and, and you know, you're like not really enjoying laying there in the snow, just completely <laughs> Not the same experience, like, I just huh? need to get warm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was a great experience in Italy. I, I imagine Switzerland couldn't be too far off of that experience, uh, at least scenery. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Switzerland was great. We didn't have a ton of competitions in Switzerland. We had maybe one, one every two or three years, which was unfortunate, but, um, I guess Italy was a little bit better because it was a little less expensive. So it, it mm. you know, when, when you're on a tight budget in an Olympic sport where there's no money, um, it, it made it a little easier to, to pay for a, you know, a croissant and not feel like you had to take it alone. Right. I like that was your only meal for the day. <laughs> Right. The cost. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I have a question then. What was it like? Cause you went to China, correct? Uh, I, for the Olympics or competition? Um, uh, I'll say yes. <laughs> uh, I went to One or the uh, other? Italy, Canada, and Russia for the Olympics. And then, um, I went to Korea the 2018 Olympics in Korea for as an artist and not an uh, athlete. Okay. All right. For some reason, I was thinking you were in, I don't know where I got it from, but I got some bad information somewhere. So I've been it's to okay. Korea. How did you like Korea? Uh, you know, I'll have to admit, I'm not a fan of kimchi, but I, I enjoyed it. It was kind of, it was kind of interesting and really cool to see the culture because it's so different. Um, Mm -hmm. And we were right next to the DMZ. So they were slinging shots at each other at night and, you know, throughout the day and stuff. So that was interesting. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting for sure. <laughs> yeah. That place is, uh, I, I don't think people realize that there was only a truce announced and that's all there's ever been. Those two countries are still technically at war. Right. So, yep. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I've got some crazy stories about that too. It's wild. Um, I'm sure. But yeah. I, I have found that American kimchi is completely different from Korean kimchi. And whoo, it is just the smell of legit Korean kimchi will knock your socks off. Yeah, it's it's hard to get past that that smell if you're not used yeah, to I it. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> I didn't make it past that yeah. smell. I, I couldn't. I couldn't either. I, I couldn't eat that. 
We yeah. had a guy bring some on ship. This is when I was in the Marines. He brought some on ship and we didn't know, um, not, not that he couldn't, but it was in a jar and we were out at sea and he uncapped that thing. Oh my gosh. It was like a biological weapon. It's like, whoa. <laughs> We had, yeah, I had to right. leave that area for like eight hours. It was horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty potent if you if you've never been ex had experience with it and and you know don't have a a really tough palate, then it's it's hard to hard to stomach. Have you ever been to the Philippines? I have not. No, all the warm, uh, nice places in the world I haven't been to. I've only been to the cold, miserable. <laughs> Cold and miserable. I like that. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I really was, was hoping they'd start like in the summer where you could, uh, you know, ski and shoot on the beaches with targets out in the surf, which would have been perfect, but no one's done that yet. So, This episode is brought to you by Laser App, L-A-S-R App. They specialize in laser dry fire training super convenient and not to mention super cheap. You can use anything for a dry fire target and any device with a camera for capturing the laser hits. There's even a 30 day money back guarantee and it's veteran owned Semper Fi, Ben. You can utilize multiple targets and multiple cameras. It can be as complex or as simple as your heart desires. They even sell steel challenge banners. They sell cert guns and the cert AR bolt so you can practice indoors with your AR for free. There's a newsletter and a forum you can join. When you sign up for the newsletter, they'll send you a free six part video series. Check out their website. It's a smorgasbord of items to make you better faster. Use the affiliate link on our website or at the bottom of our podcast notes and on YouTube for a 15% discount. Also use our coupon code in the store for 10% off of other items not necessarily covered by our affiliate link. Thanks for your support, everyone. Without your support, this podcast would be difficult to maintain. I th I think you should start that because now I think we're talking about something that people would watch and I think you would excel at it. Oh, it'd be great. I You know, there, there's one guy, um, Bill Koch, he, he started sand skiing on the beaches in Hawaii. He was a silver medalist. And he started a program where they, they cross-country ski on the beaches. And I'm like, well, you know, all you have to do is add some targets floating out there in the surf and make it nice and challenging, and it'd be a perfect sport. Didn't they, um, I want to say in the Northeast, like Vermont, New Hampshire area, I, I thought, now it's been a while since I've seen these types of videos, but I thought someone even came up with, skis that have like treads on them for summertime downhill skiing have you seen anything like that before well i mean there's there's a lot of different things like that like there's a, a treadmill that that you can ski on uh for downhill skiing that uh not exactly the same thing but it, it uh at least for training you can use that uh, we used roller skis they're you know about I don't know, two, two and a half feet long with a wheel on each end and uh, okay. skied on the pavement, used our same boots and our same poles and everything. And we'd ski around with those things. And the only issue with those is we didn't have brakes. So if you hit a stop sign on the, on a downhill or railroad tracks, you were, you know, going to lose some skin. Well, welcome to my world. <laughs>
that that's how I am. It doesn't matter if you put anything inline skates, roller skates, uh, skis, it doesn't matter. I'm losing skin. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. My, I've lost my, wife my fair is, share. <laughs> yeah. My wife is very good about, um, roller skating. So we would go roller skating when there was one nearby. And just like when I was a kid, I would, I could get going fast, but stopping was impossible. So I would aim myself for a wall and just, you know, <laughs> go right into the wall and kind of catch yeah. myself. And that's how I would, that's how I stop when I ski too. I'm like, all right, it's time to fall. Let me just dive over. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> all right. Now, when did you first shoot a gun? I would say I was probably seven or eight. Um, started out before that with little bows with suction cup arrows and, um, you know, probably little, the ping pong, uh, ping pong ball guns. Uh -huh. And then probably about seven or eight, we got uh, BB guns and uh, really started getting into shooting and, and small game hunting and stuff like that. And my dad, he was, we had three girls and shooting and hunting was his big passion. So he, he passed that on to us and we really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. All right. So, and I, I saw a short video of that. Oh, I think it was on your Instagram. You posted that about your dad teaching you guys now, yeah. but you and Tracy are twins. That's correct. Correct. Yeah. We're identical twins. Yeah. Yes, you are identical twins. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. Um, so your other sister, is she older or younger? She's 14 months older. And okay. uh, the, the, the interesting thing about that is uh, my parents, they didn't get an ultrasound. They wanted to be surprised. So um, they could only detect one heartbeat. So they thought they were having just one kid. And the doctor's like, my mom was huge, you know, because there's two of us in there. And so the doctor said, you're having a really big boy. And then when I came out, they, they were scrambling for more nurses because I was like, there's two in there. Get more nurses. Oh, so my dad, Lord. instead of getting a really big boy, he got two little girls. <laughs> Quite the shock. I'm for sure. Him. What's that? Quite the shock for him. Yeah, that's okay. I'm sure he's not totally disappointed. You guys have yeah. turned out very well, especially shooting wise. Um, so do, does your older sister shoot as well? She does a little bit, not so much. Um, she became a ear, nose and throat surgeon. So when she went off to school, um, that kind of took up most of her time, her, her, her schooling and, and things like that. So, yeah. Oh, you guys are very successful. We had good role models. Our parents were great role, role models. Okay. I, I'm assuming they were probably very supportive. Very, very supportive. Yes. Yeah. So how do you go from shooting a gun about seven or eight, getting a BB gun, starting hunting with your dad, he's teaching you all this. How do you find um, competition and specifically the biathlon? Yeah. So we, I would say our main sport growing up was soccer. And kind of the way it, it culminated is, is we, were, we were really big soccer players and also doing small board prone competitions. And okay. the, way, the way it kind of worked out is, is we we're two things. We we're looking for a way to stay in shape for 
soccer in the winter because downhill skiing, you know, you lift and it just, it wasn't enough. And, and then two, in our small board prone competitions, they kept saying, you know, you two girls are in the wrong, my twin sister and I, you're in the wrong sport because in between, you know, the shooting bouts, we'd be juggling a soccer ball and chugging Gatorade and stuff like that instead of trying to calm our heart rate down and, you know, be still and things like that. And, and so there was a guy that was working with the biathlon team at the, at the time, and he said, hey, you girls should, should try this out. And we thought, okay, well, that kills two birds with one stone. One, we could stay in shape for soccer with the cross-country skiing. And then two, we could do something that's as close to hunting on skis in the Olympics that you can get. Because hunting was kind of our, our biggest passion. And so we, we uh, signed up for it and just fell in love with it. Now, what age were you when you fell in love with hunting? Seven or eight. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we were hunting mice and, you know, s s small game animals and stuff like that. When I got our hunter safety and, and just started hunting, hunting small game. And what state did you guys grow up in? Colorado. Oh, Okay. Near where you are today or in another part of the state? Same, same place. Um, we grew up in, you know, out in the country. So we had a lot of opportunities to, you know, when, when it was season was open, we chased rabbits and, and, you know, and we, we grew up on game meat too. My dad was a big hunter. So um, he'd go elk and deer hunting and he'd take us. And, and that's kind of how we fed our family. So it was just kind of a, a family tradition to, to do that. Okay, so now I see all of the posts you have on Instagram, uh, cooking, like wild game and stuff. So you've been doing that, though, since you were a kid. I have, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we had to er learn early on that if you didn't cook wild game correctly, one, it would either taste gamey or it'd be so chewy that you'd have to sit Very there and tough. chew it for 10 minutes. So. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it was motivation to, to really figure out how to cook it. And, you know, it, it, a lot of people think that it's very challenging and it, it's not. Once you figure it out, it, it, it's just as easy as cooking any other, any other meat. You just have to, you know, know how to do it properly. Right. I, I guess that's one way to prevent you from eating too fast is just make it chewy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> like my dad, for example, he awesome guy, but, um, we grew up on, uh, overcooked elk, elk steaks. So we, you know, grew some really strong jaw muscles from sitting at China <laughs> over and over. Oh, he has since improved his, his steak, uh, you know, cooking, but back then it was uh, hockey pucks, you know. <laughs> wow. Okay. So what age were you then when this guy suggested trying the biathlon? Uh, we were uh, late middle school. I think it was going into our freshman year in high school is when we, we jumped into signing up for cross-country skiing and then, uh, you know, going to some biathlon races. Now, I assume by then, based on where you grew up, you were already into skiing and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, we had, we had downhill skied our whole life. We hadn't cross-country skied. It was quite the eye-opener when you take, you know, those really stable, thick, wide um, metal edged downhill skis and then jump on a, a really skinny ski with no metal edges and your heels not hooked in and you know no ankle support and and 
and then, you know, try to launch yourself on a downhill and actually have control. <laughs> so our, our, our learning experience was, was very rough, but we picked it up pretty quickly and, and uh, you know, kind of found some early success. And I think that helped. Okay. Yeah. And that's at Bridgeport. That's what I was given those little tiny 1950s skis with those big Mickey Mouse military boots and just a spring attaching your foot to the, to the, uh, ski. It's like, how am I supposed to work this thing? Yeah. Yeah. Good times though. What age was it that you made it onto the Olympic team? First Olympics was in 2006, uh, almost made it in 2002, but end up uh, getting food poisoning during the, uh, the trials and didn't, uh, didn't make the team then. I, I we, my twin sister and I, we would have been pretty young had we made it, but um, yeah, it's just one of those unfortunate situations. So first one was 2006 and in, in Torino, Italy and uh, awesome experience. You know, it always love competing in Italy. All right. I know, I know we said we wouldn't do anything controversial, but are you sure someone didn't Nancy Kerrigan you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we always thought about that because, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's potential, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> At this point, who knows? Right. Uh, yeah. I couldn't pass up on that. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, I, I've never, um, I've never even been to the Olympic Training Center. It's, if I remember correctly, it's in Colorado Springs, right? There's multiple training centers. Yeah, there's one in Colorado oh. Springs, um, which is mostly the summer sports. And then there's another one in Lake Placid, New York, which is mostly the uh, winter sports. There's also kind of a training center in, in Chula Vista, California. And then there's kind of a training center out in uh, Utah where the 2002 Olympics were. And Lake Placid was 1980? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I've been around a couple of days. So where did you go to train then? Was it uh, Lake Placid? Mostly Lake Placid, yeah. We we spent a majority of our time up there. Um, if we're at the, the Olympic Training Center, and then we also spent some time at the training, just maybe a couple weeks a year at the training center in Colorado Springs. But um, right. that was mostly just a shooting camp. All right. So for all of us that weren't as fortunate as the Barnes twins. Lead me through a day in the life of an Olympic athlete at an Olympic training center. Okay. So, uh, normally you'd wake up in the morning, probably four 35, go for a half an hour jog just to kind of loosen up the muscles a little bit, get the lactic acid out from the day before you'd stretch, uh, probably dry fire a little bit, um, go to breakfast, Go out for your main workout of the day, which would be anywhere from two to four hours of physical activity, uh, sometimes combined with shooting, sometimes not, and then come back, eat lunch, take a quick nap, wake up, go out for your second workout of the day, which was anywhere from one to three hours. Uh, and again, sometimes it was shooting sometimes, uh, or was shooting sometimes not, and then usually shooting in the evening uh, stretching exercises, video from the day, uh, technique on skiing, 
and then dinner and then go to bed. Okay, just so you know, I was just living vicariously through you. Um, <laughs> but oh, that sounds like a dream come true. Not gonna lie. Um, so literally you sleep, you wake up, you go exercise, then you mm -hmm. eat, then you go yeah. exercise, then you eat, then yeah. you take a nap, then yeah. you exercise some more, and then you eat, yeah. watch some videos and go to bed. Yeah. But oh the videos God, were, you know, not like technique videos. It wasn't like we were watching movies or anything. Right. I get it. <laughs> now, inter interesting. You said dressing drills. How does... Now I, I'm in, in my other life, I am a firefighter. Uh -huh. So we have dressing grill. So, you know, you can, you get your speed up to, obviously you get a 911 call for a, a fire somewhere. You don't want to be taking four minutes to get dressed. So we have dressing grills to get dressed rapidly, to get on a piece, go to the fire. So yeah. how, how does a dressing drill for your sport, how does that work? Yeah, no, I, I, I think you, I said dry fire drills. Oh, bah, that's my <laughs> lack of hearing. Oh man. Okay. But no, we well. try not to, you know, it's one of those things we wore spandex for our competitions and sometimes they were the one piece spandex with the, you know, the power strips on your arms and legs and stuff. And they're really hard to get in and out of. And, um, we didn't practice doing that because it was such a pain to get those things on. <laughs> so I, we just spent as little time in those things as possible. I f yeah. I feel like those things take about 10 to 15 minutes to get on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And then once you, once you get them on because it's one piece, you're like, Oh no, I have to go use the restroom now. Oh, so <laughs> you have to take it back off again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to need more zippers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They didn't make now, zippers how, for ladies, so it wasn't oh, easy. Well, someone yep. needs to, you know what? There you go. There's your next entrepreneurial invention. Yeah. By yeah. This episode is brought to you by Gun Butter. Gun Butter is a premier lubricant for your rifle or pistol. They have grease for parts that need it, like lugs on a bolt gun. Man, do I love a bolt gun. It's a proprietary blend that they won't even trademark so as not to have to give away their trade secrets. Check out the video I put up on YouTube. Uh, look for another one coming soon. I even ran into Rick Powers, an RO at Carry Optics Nationals. He switched to it after listening to our podcast with Mason Litchfield. He loves it. Rob Epifania uses and loves it. Frank Shu uses it and loves it. Use Casual Shooter 20 and save 20% on checkout suits for women yeah well that, that would be nice because you'd be in a, a porta potty and you know 20 below and you know taking your your top off um wow to, to use the restroom it was just a it was a process it's not that much fun <laughs> now how warm are those you have to wear a bunch of under layers with that or it's imagine the thinnest spandex you could possibly wear. That's what we wore and nothing else. Uh, Cause you, you were so hot while you're racing that you don't want to wear long underwear or anything like that. And cause, cause you'd overheat. Um, but it was that, that five minute window when you take your, your warm up jacket and your warm up pants and you know, your big mittens and all that stuff off and then jump into the start gate and to start 
Um, and then that five minutes after you finish where, you know, you, you lose all that heat and, and you just start freezing to death. So while you're racing, you're actually warm, but that, that five minute window on either end, you're just freezing to death. Yeah, I can imagine that now, even so even today with the advancement in like moisture wicking material, they're still not wearing anything underneath that would help wick that away and keep you dry underneath and then warm when you stop? No, not really. No, because um, like once we stop, you you rush into the, the changing area as quickly as possible to, to change your clothes. Um, but they're still, that, you know, trying, getting there. Um, and, you know, it was one of those things like it, if you wore that moisture wicking stuff, it really, I mean, the, the spandex kind of kind of did that a little bit, but, um, that stuff isn't perfect. You know, that if we are, when we were training, our bodies were so efficient that we didn't actually sweat that much. Um, and especially in the winter, you're not going to sweat that much. So, uh, but it's just that before and after where you're just really, really cold just because of the elements. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oof. Especially where you're talking, where you competed, you know, you're, you're at elevation, you got yeah. wind. Um, wow. Yeah. I could imagine how, just how cold that would be. Yeah. So let's back up for just a second. Let's go back to the Olympic training center for a moment. And I've heard, I can't, I can neither confirm nor deny. I've heard that the food is every superlative you can imagine. Uh, for the Olympic Training Center, there's there's quite a wide variety. It's it's more like kind of cafeteria style, but a little bit healthier. Um, but at the Olympics, at the and and the athlete village, you can have anything and everything you want from McDonald's, who was always a sponsor, all the way up to um, you know if you wanted Asian or Italian or Mexican or whatever you wanted, it was available. But you know they always kind of source really good ingredients and, and top chefs and stuff. So it was a little bit healthier than you'd imagine. I don't think I would be welcome back because I'd eat it all. <laughs> They're like, this guy's banned from future competition. He eats too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, there were some, you know, it was, it was always one of those things like some athletes, uh, they, they'd start living in the training center and you have, you have, if you're young, you have access to all these food, all this food and, and you, you know, so some, some athletes would overindulge themselves and their coaches would have to tell them to cut back a little bit. It happens. <laughs> Only one dessert, not two. <laughs> right. Um, so that, that does bring up another question about the training center. Does, does it cost the athlete to live there or is that covered by donors? How does that work? So that is covered by um, each individual sports national governing body. So ours was the U.S. Biathlon Association. You know, there's USA Skiing, there's USA Shooting, there's all these different national govern governing bodies or NGBs. And um, the U.S. Olympic Committee would charge the NGB uh, for you to stay there and... Um, and or if they if the U.S. Olympic Committee was was trying to help us sport out, they would pay for it through sponsorships through the U.S. Olympic Committee. Okay. 
Well, that's cool. So if you were an athlete and you stayed there, you wouldn't have to pay necessarily as long as you were on the national team. If you weren't on the national team, then you'd get charged to stay there. Okay. So like if I was an athlete in another sport, I want to say I've heard of MMA athletes going and training with Olympic wrestlers mm -hmm. at these places. So if they were to stay there, then they would be charged for being there and doing that. Yeah, yeah, they'd be charged some sort of daily fee, um, you know, with food and housing and, and, you know, use of training facilities and stuff like that. Okay. On a scale of zero to 10, zero being no equipment at all and 10 being the greatest equipment you could buy at these centers, where on the scale do those, does the equipment at these centers fall? I would say a 10. Okay, so that it is the absolute top of the line equipment. Yeah, I mean, usually at the at the training centers, they have um, one of two things. Um, the best, they try to source the best equipment available, and or companies would give them the the latest and greatest equipment so that the Olympic athletes can use it and train it, train with it and test it, and you know stuff like that. So, um, while not every NGB or athlete has access to that. Um, if you're at the training center, usually you have access to the best equipment. Okay. So if you're on that national team, like you mentioned, you have access to all of that and using it probably regularly then. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Now your last, um, so 2014, you actually, there's a story that goes along with being on that Olympic team. Yeah. What, what happened and how did you actually get on the team? So obviously made the team in 2006, 2010. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'll just tell kind of the backstory real quick, just to, to kind of sure. give it some, uh, um, a little bit more insight, but um, so 2006, my twin sister and I both made the team. 2010, um, we were both heavy favorites to make the team again. Um, I made the team. My twin sister unfortunately had a bad race in the beginning, and but it was a two out of three race series. So um, second race, she did really well. Third race, um, she woke up in the morning and and there was the fog was so thick that they canceled the race, and. Um, oh. So usually, which normally is not a big deal, they just reschedule it, but they decided to to not reschedule it and they picked the team based off of the first two races. And she had a bad first race, so she didn't make that team. Um, and I, I went and competed in 2010. Fast forward four years later, we were both heavy favorites to make the team. And um, I ended up getting really, really sick and uh, wasn't able to complete the races. And Tracy did really, really well and made the team. And then when they announced the team at the end, she turned around and gave her spot to me so that I could go. And uh, part of the reason was because she had experienced that four years earlier where, you know, a bit of bad luck and, and um, something that was kind of outside her control had happened to where she lost her ability to, um, you know, fulfill her dream. And she didn't want that same thing to happen to me. So she turned around and gave her spot to me so I could go. Wow. That's, that's a heck of a story. 
Yeah, she's a very good sister. And, you know, a lot of people would always say, uh, there's no way I would do that for my sibling or anybody else. And, um, you know, I think twins have a, a much different relationship. And um, she did it for, for a lot of different reasons. One, she she wanted um, to do it for me because she, you know, we were there training every day, all day together. And then, and then two, um, I had been having a really incredible year. And she said she wanted the U.S. to have the best team possible and so that's why she that was one of the other reasons why she did that awesome and I, I agree with you i know a few sets of twins and there's a completely different relationship with twins yeah. than there is with any other my sister and i are close but um you know we're also four and a half years apart so yeah you know, growing up, it's completely different than when you have a sibling who is literally minutes apart from you. And right. there's, there's that biological link that becomes mm -hmm. even deeper. So I totally get what, that's why I, I like the story. It's a great story. Yeah. And I, I don't know that somebody who isn't a twin would do that. I think that's unique to how twins are. So I think it's cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, do you actively compete? What do you actively compete in today? I compete in a lot of three-gun, uh, PCC, uh, IPSC shotgun and rifle, um, a little bit of everything. I, I Just as many shooting competitions as I can do. Are you going to be at Ipsic World Shotgun? That's the goal. I'm really hoping to be there this year. Yeah, I went... Um, the last time they had it, which I believe was in 2018, and I was the top American um, in open class and uh, had a few Russians beat me. And so I'd like to go back and uh, try to get some revenge on that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm all about yeah. that. <laughs> and that, that's, that's a healthy revenge. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. That's good. That's healthy competition right there. Mm-hmm. So what do you, I, I see you were just playing with a new um, Beretta shotgun, but what yeah. do you use in shotgun? So um, in three gun, I shoot two different categories. I shoot the more or less the tack ops or the scope division where it's, okay. um, you know, semi-automatic shotgun and it's a lot more limited and, and you can't have bipods, you can't have... Um, you know, uh, an optic on your pistol, you know, can't have a box fed shotgun. And in that category, I use, you know, a Beretta shotgun um, for that competition. And then I also shoot open, uh, which is a box fed shotgun. And that's a dissonant arm. So the one that I use in the IPSC shotgun world championships. And so I, I go back and forth. Like I, it's really hard for me to pick which one I like better. I would say that that the more traditional, the, the TAC ops or the um, kind of standard division is a lot harder because you don't have red dots and you don't have unlimited ammo and things like that. Um, but I definitely enjoy open um, just because you can, you can kind of pour on the gas when you're shooting it. Right. Yeah, I get it. Uh, now, what is your mag capacity with your open shotgun? So I have a magazine that holds 20, but um, they do make um, drum drum fed, uh, magazines that hold, I think up to 30, but, um, I haven't run one of those yet. <laughs> so when are they going to come out with a tripod and a belt fed shotgun? 
<laughs> I don't know. They need to have one. Definitely. Yeah. That would be <laughs> super fun to shoot. Yeah, absolutely. Holy cow. That'd be a heck of an open shotgun right there. Yep. Yeah. Yes. I think it'd be tough sling. holding that thing around though. Yeah. Sling the, sling the bandolier over your shoulder like Rambo. Right. <laughs> yeah. Cross. Oh, that'd be a hysterical. little backpack of, of shells that just kind of come out over your shoulder. Right. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.